Well, it was this Thursday morning at Woodruff Road Presbyterian Church that we celebrated really the lovely life of Kathleen Curta, who was for many years the registrar of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And I want to read part of her bio that I'm not sure who wrote it. It might have been her husband, Tony, maybe one of their children, maybe a friend of theirs, Simone from Switzerland. Kathleen loved being a mother and grandmother, taking care of the family, spending time with her children and grandchildren, and always made Thanksgiving Thanksgiving special for everybody. She loved early morning workouts, gardening, and would always be up for a hike. She was a tireless laborer in the church, teaching catechids, leading women's Bible studies, and organizing all sorts of events. She was a mentor and a counselor to many women in the church and seminary. In her later years, she was asked to do conferences on the works of the Puritans. One of her favorite books was Keeping the Heart by John Flavel. Well, you know that mothers are ubiquitous. That is, they are everywhere. They are, in a sense, all around you. If you can hear the sound of my voice, if you were breathing at this moment, you had a mother or you have a mother. And we've all had mothers, whether we knew them, we, whether we remember them, respected them, or loved them. It's universal. It's to our mothers who, who carried us in their womb and gave birth to us that we owe in a very real sense of de- a debt of gratitude. Now, this is not a normal Mother's Day sermon. It's going to be a little different, and so bear with me for a moment. Pastor Jamie has always said one of his axioms about preaching is that a sermon cannot die the death of a thousand cuts or a thousand qualifications. And so I'm going to say this is not a normal Mother's Day sermon. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But I want us to think about that a godly mother... A true spiritual mother, not just a biological mother, is far rarer, much rarer, and more precious than almost anything. Our topic this morning, as you see in the bulletin, is spiritual mothering, and I almost wish I had entitled it motherhood. By the way, spiritual mothering is not the same as spiritual smothering. And some of your kids will attest to that. There's a difference. Don't add an S in front of the word. And I want you to think about that what leads us to this topic is the reality that often we're satisfied with a world of chronic spiritual infertility, where the miracle of new spiritual life and birth is a rarity. It's not a priority. And we find ourselves unmoved by a world where the silence is not pierced by the cries of newborn babies in Christ Jesus. And that ought to sadden us greatly. And so it brings us to the big idea that we'll develop from these 13 verses in 2 Timothy. 
And what I'm saying here at the very beginning about spiritual motherhood is this. Spiritual mothers are vitally important to the spiritual health and the vitality of Christ's church. Spiritual mothers are the rare jewel for which we can give thanks to our Heavenly Father, the rare jewels the church should long to cultivate in the role of spiritual mothers is the rarest of jewels to which we must encourage all women to aspire to the praise of Jesus Christ. And I think this is helpful if you understand that when we speak of spiritual mothers, that connects to spiritual children. And so you might say, what do we mean by spiritual children? And what we mean by spiritual children will explicitly or implicitly give us the answer to what we mean by spiritual mothers. By spiritual children, we mean those who come to faith by our faithful witness and life on life investment. And moreover, it's those who grow in faith, who live by faith, who pass on the faith and live life in faith, and live life in faith. Now, and so spiritual mothers are simply those who by that investment, by that faithful investment, that daily investment in the lives of others produce Christ followers. And now an important qualification. And I think we need to be clear here. We are not all women and cannot therefore all be mothers. And I'm going to build this. And all women do not receive the gift of biological or even adopted children. And I want to honestly acknowledge the sadness that some of you know all too well. And today I know as Mother's Day has the potential to bring sadness to you. A gal, one of our own, said to me this week, I just don't want to hear the words, Happy Mother's Day. I just don't want to hear it. For some, God withheld or appears to have withheld the gift of marriage and the joy of children as an important purpose in marriage. At least he has to this moment. For others, infertility is all too real. Month after month goes by without conception. You still ache to hold a little one in your arms, to hear the cry of an infant. Or the pitter-patter of a toddler running to jump in bed with mommy and daddy. You can relate to the pain of women in the Bible who suffered the pain of infertility like Sarah and Rachel and Hannah. Verses like Genesis 11 verse 30. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. They sting for you too. Perhaps some of you have lost children to death or to lives of waywardness or prodigality or your children's lives. They haven't launched as you've hoped or as they've hoped, and you grieve that. And so I want to express genuine sympathy to you this morning. The last thing I would want for you is for your heart to be crushed today 
on Mother's Day. Your Savior understands. And what I prayed a few moments ago, I mean. The same gospel that allows us to dance in rejoicing is a balm to our souls in the deepest of our griefs. He understands he's not blind. Like with Israel of old, he hears your cry when no one else does. He sees you in your, his, in your affliction. He remembers all his rich promises for you in Christ Jesus. He knows he's not deaf to your longings, your disappointment to what you've longed for for so long. Maybe as a child or as a mother. Never forget that those words in Isaiah 42 and verse 5 of Yahweh's suffering servant. It says of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord's suffering servant, a bruised reed, he will not break and a fairly burning wick. He will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. But for every Christian woman, God has given this incredible opportunity It really didn't hit me until yesterday that Autumn's announcement and timing of promotion for this study for the months of June, July, and August around Titus 2 worked and coordinated perfectly with the message this morning. Ladies, it does not matter. It does not matter if you're 16 or you're 86. God has given you this incredible opportunity. You may be an incubator of saving faith in another person. And I won't dwell long on it, but today, even among us is Lydia's mom, Lou Ardry, from Rock Hill, South Carolina, who many of you know my story when I began seminary and 2005, I spent one to two Friday nights a month with Jim and her dear, with Lou and her dear husband Jim, who died just two years ago. And she became in 05, the Lord knew this at that time. My own mother, our own mother, was in the middle of a struggle with Alzheimer's. And so I was able to have conversations with Lou, faith shaping conversations with Jim and Lou that my mother, my own mother, could no longer have with us. And so Lou didn't know it then. But she was like a spiritual mother to me. You may be one who passes on the baton of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The door is open for you ladies, for you women, whether you're 16 or 86, whether you're single or married or you have a house full of children or none, the door is open for you to help birth others from death to life, from despair to the saving hope that is only found in our Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, single or married or widowed. There's a dire need today for spiritual mothers. The reality is in our culture, we're struggling with spiritual infertility. It's harder than ever. We're not just a post-modern culture. We're a post-Christian culture. Ladies, we need you to rise up. There's children, spiritual children for you to give birth to. They're just waiting The calling, the opportunity is upon you. There's a dire need for spiritual moms. 
Women who will joyfully endure the pain and pangs of spiritual birth for others. Well, let's open up the first seven verses of 2 Timothy 1. And then we'll be in 2 Timothy 3 to finish up. I want you to see just briefly the first two verses, the historical context as we look at spiritual motherhood honored. So spiritual motherhood honored in the first two verses of 2 Timothy. Then in verses 3 through 5, I want us to see spiritual motherhood described as an indwelling faith. And then in verses 6 and 7, spiritual motherhood celebrated as an enduring faith. And then finally, in chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, spiritual motherhood simplified. Here it is, the sacred writings, the sacred writings. First, I want us to see spiritual motherhood honored in the historical context. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. What is the significance of this whole book? By everything that we know, 2 Timothy was Paul's final letter of the 13 that bear his name. And we find in his writing in urgency and earnestness in this letter. It's like it's exhibit A, even exhibit A for the finality of this letter is in chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. It's fair to say these are his final words. Insofar as the canon of Scripture is concerned, and we do well to receive them with that understanding. He knew whose he was. He knew from whom he had received his apostolic commission. And yet these final hours he could write clearly or final days that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Paul knew the point of his, of his apostleship. It was according to the promise or the basis of his apostleship. It was according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. He was an apostle by Christ Jesus. He was an apostle for Christ Jesus. And he was an apostle according to the principle and the promise of life in God's Son. And all of this, not by his own will, not as a self-appointed one, but by God's irrevocable, unchangeable will and calling. This is the historical context of spiritual motherhood. And we don't need to be surprised here that Paul references Timothy's mother and grandmother in verse 5. For nowhere in his ministry or in his letters does Paul ever demonstrate a reticent to note or express appreciation for the labors of women. In fact, Pastor Jamie in one of his final sermons on Romans chapter 26 noted all the women in that chapter. For example, Paul worked with those esteemed fellow workers, Aquila and Priscilla, in Acts 18. He commends Phoebe as a servant of the church in Sincrea in Romans 16.1. She was a patron, a financial supporter of many. Romans 16, as Pastor Jamie had showed us when he preached on that a number of months ago, was full of greetings, expressions of appreciation to women by the apostle. And in Philippians 4, 
in verse 2, a grieving Paul urges his Christian sisters, Yodia and Syntyche, to live in harmony of the Lord. And he credits them as having shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Paul is not hesitant to show the role of spiritual mothers and women as contributing productive and important saints in the cause of Christ. Well, secondly, we see in verses 3 through 5, spiritual motherhood described. It's this idea of an indwelling faith. And when we read these three verses, we want to read it as one long expression, as it's one sentence in the original language. So Paul is giving thanks as he's wont to do. As he remembers Timothy in his prayers, he's not ambivalent about that. He's longing, that's this idea is from the gut, this from his bowels, if you will, this strong desire to see Timothy as he remembers Timothy's tears. I think no doubt at the point that they were separating and Paul was going one day away and Timothy remaining in another place as he's calling to mind Timothy's sincere faith. And I want you to see how he does this. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith there in verse 5. And a faith, he said, that dwelled or dwelt in Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And rather than like this, hey, pass the salt and pepper and you think of Lois and Eunice, you might think of Lois believing, Eunice building on that multi-generational foundation of faith, and Timothy on top top of that. Okay? Think of it together, not so much side by side, but thinking of it as progressively and vertical and upward. So Paul gives this single description of why we can rightly identify Lois and Eunice as spiritual mothers. Faith dwelt in them. Faith in Jesus as the Son of God, slain for sinners like you and me. They were filled with faith. Paul uses this verb in the realm of residency, the idea of dwellings. Like we speak of Greenville, there's so many single-family dwellings, so many multi-family dwellings, so many dwellings with one parent, so many dwellings with two. The dwelling that Paul is speaking of here is that it was faith that dwelled in him as at first, a sincere faith, as in authentic, the genuine, a genuine, true to north faith that first dwelt in his mother and grandmother. It's this idea of occupancy, moving in, laying down roots, and establishing residency with stability. And that was true of Lois and Eunice. Theirs was a sincere faith. Theirs was a multiplying faith, a saving faith, a faith shaped by the sacred writings, a faith that centered upon the person and work of Christ Jesus. And I want to tease this out just for a few moments. If Paul notes the sincerity of Timothy's faith, it's equally true that Paul highlights that Lois and Eunice believed first. If you're going to pass on the faith to someone else, you'll have to believe first. And so Timothy's mother and grandmother were his spiritual mothers. But Paul is noting for Timothy more than that Lois and Eunice believed 
or even that they believed prior to Timothy. This is not simply a chronological commentary. He's got a greater purpose than that. Paul is highlighting to Timothy that the roots of Timothy's sincere faith may be traced to God's gracious work in his mother and grandmother. Will you be a spiritual mom? Ladies, will you be that? Then eventually that's going to be traced to God's gracious work in you. What's Paul's purpose? Paul is rooting every subsequent exhortation in his letter to this redemptive reality. This is like what he's saying to Timothy, and I translate it. Or I paraphrase, my dear child, you received the gospel... You embraced the Son of God. You trusted his promises in this long legacy of faith passed on to you by your heavenly Father through the faith of your mother and grandmother. Not only did your mother Eunice give physical birth to you, but she was used by the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, humanly speaking, as an instrument in your faith. And that's the same For your grandmother, Lois. Brothers and sisters and sisters this morning, I appeal to you, God's sovereign saving work is never divorced from human instrumentality. Will there be new babies who breathe their first breath, who cry their first cry as little babes in Christ? Then there will be spiritual mothers. And when I see a teenager sitting with an eight or nine-year-old befriending an eight or nine-year-old here in one of our seats, between services, before a service, after a service, we're watching spiritual mothering right there because it begins with just befriending another. Well, I want us to see thirdly the spiritual motherhood celebrated in enduring faith in verses six and seven. I want us to consider At the end of this section, a a real reason to celebrate our spiritual mothers. And that's lives of enduring, fruitful faith. In the bulletin for Kathleen Curto's funeral, it noted that she and Dr. Curto got married when Dr. Curto was 17 years and one week old. That was it. 17 years plus one week, and they got married. And they weren't even Christians. And God saved them a few years later through the Jesus movement out in California. So they were married 52 years, but they walked together with Christ for 50 years. And I think of Kathleen. She not only had biological children. She had three adopted. They had three adopted sons from Uganda. But she had countless, countless spiritual children. I think I said this a week or two ago, but I was on the phone with the director of admissions, Zach Groff, who's taking Kathleen's place. And I was commiserating with him for his increased workload because Kathleen was sick. This was before she passed away. And he stopped me in the phone call and he said, you know, Mark, he said, I'm not even thinking about that. She's like a spiritual mother to me. That's what he said. She's like a spiritual mother. To me, and she has been for so many. And he didn't even know that the title of my sermon today was going to be spiritual mothering. 
And there's the example. Hers was a life of enduring fruitful faith. And so Paul can say, for this reason, I remind you, even as I'm reminded as I pray for you of your tears, he says, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands, of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so when Paul writes for this reason at the beginning of verse 6, he references that moment when hands were laid on Timothy in acknowledgement of the spiritual gifts that were given to his son in the faith. And here's Paul's implication. If you say, what's the implication of that? Faith was first passed on to you, Timothy, through the faith of your mother and grandmother. Let that faith take root and continue to flourish in you as you steward God's gifts to you to walk in his ways and to advance his cause. As you receive the gift of a legacy of faith through your mothers, so you've also received from your heavenly father these gifts of power and love and self-control. Well, I want to close as we turn to chapter 3 and verses 10 through 17 to that next to last chapter. We've seen the historical context of Paul's final letter. We've connected spiritual mothering to an indwelling faith and an enduring faith. Why this last section? And ladies, for a moment, I want to speak specifically and especially to you. It's because the sacred writings, not the wisdom of men or the best human philosophy, but it's the scriptures, the sacred writings that Paul will reference here in 2 Timothy 3. They are the raw material. They are the one thing necessary for the hard but eternally valuable work of spiritually Mothering and beware as an application of bringing simply worldly wisdom and pragmatism to the women, to the children that you are discipling, that you are birthing into the kingdom. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Paul tells Timothy in verses 10 and 11 that Timothy was a conscientious follower of Paul of all that Paul could give him. And when he says, you, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, there's that personal pronoun there, my aim in life. In fact, actually the ESV keeps adding it. I think the pronoun only occurs once. But for emphasis, in contrast to the first nine verses of chapter three and how people will be in the last days, he says, you've followed You've investigated, you've acquainted yourself with my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. And that you at the beginning of verse 10 is really contrastive. It could be but you. Grammatically, it's the same as verse 14. It's sude, it's just translated differently. But you, you however, but as for you, and the point is contrast, where Paul is placing his life that visually Paul, that Timothy could follow as a template, a worthy template, 
he's placing that in strong contrast to that whole list of those deeds of the flesh in the first seven verses of chapter 3. And even these individuals, Janus and Jambres, the traditional names for two of Pharaoh's magicians who opposed Moses at the time of the Exodus. And Paul, as, a Tim, as Timothy's spiritual father, gave him a constant picture or template of a godly life in Christ Jesus. And he reminds Timothy there in verses 12 through 13 of the challenge, the peculiar challenge of a godly life in imitation of him and of Christ Jesus. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But I want us to see this special word that Paul has for Timothy in verses 14 and 15. Look at it carefully, if you will. Put your eyes on it for a moment. Paul is writing to Timothy conscious that just as Doug and Sherry, we know are brands plucked from the fire of God's judgment, so was Timothy. Timothy's life is only in Christ. Timothy's name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so Paul can say, though persecution will come by those who are deceived and being deceived. Paul is clear. He says, but for you, you continue in what? You have learned and you have firmly, firmly believed. All right? There's being instructed in the basics of the faith. There's also knowing from whom You've learned it in how from childhood you've been acquainted, he says, with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All right? And we could translate that first phrase in verse 14, but as for you or you however. The point is that Timothy was a product of faithful, multi-generational first spiritual mothering before the apostle Paul ever entered the picture. And what was it that Timothy had learned and firmly believed? It was the gospel. It was the gospel. And that looked like something like this, like even the university creed that we heard on Friday at Bob Jones. I believe in the inspiration of the Bible both the Old and the New Testaments, the creation of man by the direct act of God, the incarnation and virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His identification as the Son of God, his various atonement for the sins, or his vicarious atonement for the sins of mankind by the shedding of his blood on the cross. The resurrection of his body from the tomb, his power to save men from sin, the new birth through the regeneration by the Holy Spirit and the gift of eternal life by the grace of God. Spiritual mothering is absolutely compassionate, but spiritual mothering has biblical content, and it looks like a creed just like that. The gospel has words that may give language 
to it. Well, from whom had Timothy learned the gospel? Lois and Eunice as spiritual mothers, but also from Paul as his spiritual father. For it was Timothy to whom he expressed these words at the opening of 1 Timothy. He says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. But finally, and we'll end on this note in the next two two minutes, the what and the whom of spiritual mothering all relate to what we may call the raw material or the simplicity of spiritual mothering. Ladies, will you have children? Will you have spiritual children? You befriend others. You bring them the word. You pray with and for them. Those are three of the means of grace. There's fellowship. There's the word. And there's prayer. Don't complicate it. Don't get slicker than God, okay? It's the sacred writings. And it was these alone that Lois and Eunice and eventually the Apostle Paul Paul made sure Timothy had a personal, spiritual, and life-saving acquaintance with. Forgive me for finishing a word, a sentence with a preposition. He made sure that they... That Paul, Paul and Timothy's grandmother Lois and mother Eunice made sure Paul had this acquaintance, a personal, spiritual, and life-saving acquaintance with the sacred writings. And so verses 13 to 17, not simply, not to provide us a theory of revelation, but to impress on us what is so unique about the scriptures and why they are the basic tool for all spiritual mothering. The scriptures are divine in their very origin. And I read all scripture, Paul writes in verse 16, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If they are divine human, if they're divine and human in character, they are uniquely divine in origin. They are the raw material, even the finished canon by which women engage in spiritual mothering and create a culture of spiritual motherhood. Ladies, women, I'll use both. Girls, even if you're a little girl, Let me give you a target to shoot at. Let me give you something to aim for. Aim to be a spiritual mother. Aim to give birth all your days to spiritual children. It's a world that is profoundly, in so many ways, infertile spiritually. It's what it's like. But you have this great opportunity in this morning on what could normally be, and I know for some of you, is a grievous day. We call out a clarion call to the women of Grace Baptist Church. There are children yet to be born. Children that God may use you to bring them into the kingdom. And I invite you, I call on you for the sake and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God give us Lois's. May God give us unices, because when he does, 
we'll have Timothys. And when we have Timothys, we'll have children for the Apostle Paul. And when we have children for the Apostle Paul, we'll have an enduring work in places like Ephesus, and not just Ephesus, but even in Taylor's.